0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Book Network podcast. Today, we'll be talking with Chris Champion, the author of The War is Here, Newark, 1967, photographs by Bud Lee. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Deidre. And correct me if I mispronounce your name.
1: Uh, it's Chris Campion.
0: Campion, thank you. I wonder if you could start by saying a few words about yourself and how did you get started on this project?
1: Well, um, I'm a a writer, journalist, and author. Um, A lot of my work has been for British newspapers, um, like the Guardian and the Daily Telegraph, and I've worked for the LA Times, um, mostly in sort of arts and culture. So this is a bit of a departure for me in some ways just uh, to do you know r- related to the subject matter at least. but um, I was I had I was researching another project entirely and uh, came across the photos of Budley uh, while I was doing that research. Um, I had sort of found an article that he had taken photographs for in Esquire magazine in 1969 and was so uh, taken by them that I contacted his estate, sort of found out uh, a lot more about his history, and, you know, realized he had sort of been at certain places at certain times and covered some very important events, uh, photographed a lot of um, incredibly well-known people, uh, you know, iconic photographs he had taken. Um, he he was a photographer for Life initially and then a photographer for Esquire and Rolling Stone um, and Holiday Magazine, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, and so I wanted to do a book of his work and we actually started working on a book that was more a survey of his photography between 67 and 75 mid late 60s and early uh, mid 70s because he had sort of covered an awful lot of um you know events and photographed a lot of great people and we thought it was um, a, an interesting way of showing the photographer's journey certainly through american uh, culture um while we were working on that book uh a publisher suggested we start with the photos that Budley took in Newark because it was a very sort of contained body of work. And it offered, Budley wasn't really very well known. So, you know, it offered a way to introduce him um, and a way of telling a story with the images. So that's that's kind of the short answer of how we started working on this.
0: The pictures are just beautiful. Why do you think Budley wasn't known widely? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, he was well known, he was known widely
1: at the time. I mean, he, you know, these photos actually, you know, uh, had a, a tremendous impact on his career the photos that are in the book that, that Life Magazine ran. Um, and you know, Esquire in the, in the late sixties and early seventies would run, uh, you know, 10, 15 page portfolios of his work. He was sort of given licensed to basically pitch his own stories and uh carry them out and they would run the photos uh you know he was a photographer who really was a working photographer rather than a photographer who had an eye to legacy in some ways you know um uh he didn't have books out at the time he didn't have a gallerist really i don't think uh he didn't have many shows he didn't really even work in the darkroom he was um, you know, mostly taking photographs, uh, on color slide film, chrome. Um, and so he wasn't really making prints, you know, he wasn't really interested in the technical aspects of photography. He was just creating work and, you know, sometimes, uh, that's the way that artists work and, and other artists have more of an eye on, on legacy and sort of, um you know creating a position for themselves and he just continued working basically
0: now how did you decide on the front cover this really speaks to his work uh well you know
1: we actually originally had two covers in mind and the uh, you know one of the covers was going to be this photograph that ran on the cover of life magazine um which is an extremely dramatic Uh, image of a young 12-year-old boy who has been wounded by police gunfire. And that that ran on the cover of Life magazine in August July 1967. Um, But, you know, it was too provocative an image, really, to put on a book cover. And so, you know, this image, uh, which is of two young boys walking down the street in Newark, Um, with a lot of sort of damage that has occurred um, through the events of July 1967. And they're passing two uh, white soldiers, both holding rifles up. And one of the boys are basically looking at the soldiers. It's a very powerful image. Yeah. Um, it, It just seemed to speak to the sort of tension that existed in Newark at that time and just the circumstances with the military being sent into the city and, and, and basically the city under military occupation for five days. Um, yeah, it's it just it's an eye-catching, dramatic, powerful image, I think.
0: Yes. How did Bud Lee come to shoot the photos that make up all this book? How did he do this? Tell us. So
1: he had... Let me. Go, I'll go back a tiny little bit in his life. So basically, he he wasn't really a trained photographer. He enlisted in the military, and he served in Europe. Um, you know, in the early '60s, so it was post-war. He didn't see combat in any way, but he took a photography course uh, and became a military photographer, and was shooting Stars and Stripes magazine. And in 1966. He won Military Photographer of the Year Award for some photographs that were kind of staged. They were, you know, uh, of soldiers in training, sort of combat training. And he was actually influenced by a fashion photographer called Hero, who photographed for Harper's Bazaar. And, you know, they were beautifully composed images. So he won that award and... The photo editor of Life magazine, Peggy Sargent, uh, saw him and headhunted him to start working for Life in the beginning of 1967. And, you know, he did odd jobs for life. He didn't, he didn't, hadn't done anything major. They sort of kept him, you know, working, but just shooting the odd portrait or location or something like that. So by the time it comes around to the summer of 1967, uh, Bud Lee is he's actually photographing a stockbroker in Wall Street um, for Life magazine taking a portrait. And a call came through, and he was asked to go directly to Newark uh, to cover the events there. So this would have been on the, I think it was Friday, I don't know the exact date, but I think it was July 14th. Uh, and so, you know, it had been two days after the uprising had broken out in, in Newark. Um, and he needed to go there to cover the, you know, what was going on for life. Um, and, and life sent a car and took him and a reporter named Dale Whitner. They, they went there and, and, and Bud Lee said that the only reason he was picked to go was because it was the summer and, and most of the staff photographers were on summer vacation. I, I don't know if that's true because there were some of the you know um leading lights of sort of life magazine photog- uh, photographers who worked for life magazine were also assigned to cover life but i guess they needed more people there to to cover it
0: now give us some information about john smith what happened to him and what role did he play with this whole york uh 1967
1: so uh, John Smith was a cab driver. Um, you know, I think the basic story is he was, uh, um, you know, he d- took a, a wrong turn, police stopped him, hauled him out of his cab. Um, he was arrested and beaten quite severely, I think at the precinct uh, when he, after he was arrested. And there were rumors that he had died in police custody. And so the crowd started appearing... Uh, forming outside of the precinct and, you know, they had no information. So it just started getting a lot more heated, um, you know, rocks were thrown and, and, you know, that's where everything developed. Pe- people thought that a man had been arrested for a minor event and then beaten and killed by the police. And he wasn't, he, he didn't die. He, his ribs were separated from, from the beating that he, um, got from the police. Um, but that's, that was basically the spark of the events, but there was a huge amount of frustration in Newark, uh, you know, just due to heavy handed police tactics, um, um, you know, institutional corruption in the government. Um, there were all sorts of other things that were going on, a lot of redlining. Uh, there was a, re- uh, there was a project that was extremely controversial where the New Jersey School of Medicine was going to move to Newark and uh, I think it's like 155 acres had been redlined. So they were going to flatten, I think it was a central ward in Newark, um, you know, flatten housing, um, you know, residential housing and move people out. So there was a lot of frustration in Newark at the time, a black majority city with with a sort of a white power structure, very heavy handed police force. So, what happened to John Smith really just fed into things that were already, um, you know, frustrations that were already boiling over in Newark.
0: How long did the protest last? Well, you know, uh, there's two ways of
1: looking at this. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, it lasted for five days officially, but really, um, there, you know, I, I think in the book I quoted a community organizer named Eric Mann who said that basically it lasted for two days. The sort of frustration from the uh, population of Newark, you know, was really played out within two days. You know, it was a lot of looting. Um, businesses were burned, and um, there was a lot of sort of uh, confrontations with the police. Then uh, Friday evening, the police director Dominic Spina, called the governor and said the situation was out of control. And Governor Hughes ordered the National Guard into Newark. And from that point onwards, there was a curfew in place. There were roadblocks set up. They basically contained the city and contained any kind of disturbance and basically locked down the population. So everything that happened after that, this this uh, community organizer i quoted eric Mann said that it was the second riot this was when the police and the national guard and the state police basically you know enacted retribution on the black population and went around shooting black-owned businesses um you know there were there were um uh, bullets that were sort of Thousands and thousands of bullets that the, the police fired into residential buildings, into you know, there was ended up with officially twenty six people had died, possibly there there were many more.
0: Um, Tell us about the picture of the shops that were burned. Um, well,
1: the, do you mean the picture in the beginning of the book? Yes. Um, you know, I think there's two, there's two photographs in the, in the sort of towards the beginning of the book. There's a, I'm just going to flip to it now just so that I can reference it. But there's, um, I think there was a New Jersey, there's one photo of the New Jersey Beauty Academy and there's a, there's a, you know, pretty dramatic black and white image Of this building having been burnt out entirely and then there's also another image a little bit further on of of a of a storefront that's just being completely burnt out and destroyed and you can see somebody trying to clear up in the back there's one sort of spot of light it's i mean the entire place is black apart from one spot of light at the back where there's somebody you know uh trying to clear up the damage um you know, it's it's a there's a lot of pretty dramatic pictures that Budley took of the um, you know just the the wreckage of the city after these events, and not just because of the first two days, but but you know, like the um, the um, police and the national guard firing into black-owned stores, and uh, yeah, it's it's I mean, it's a very uh, dramatic portrait of, of a city that's sort of kind of been turned into a war zone in some ways.
0: The title, The War Is Here, can you tell the audience that these pictures do tell us that a war had taken place?
1: Yeah, you know, um, the, so I'm, I can explain where the title came from, actually. It, it actually came out of a Washington Post article that I found about Detroit, because right after Newark, there, there were similar Um, protests and and an uprising in Detroit and the article in the Washington Post had started off with um, an African-American veteran of the Vietnam War who had just returned to Vietnam and arrived in Detroit to find the National Guard on the streets and the quote was, I think the war is here. I mean, I think he was just staggered coming back from Vietnam to find his uh home city uh under military occupation um and so you know it just struck me that that was a perfect title for this book you know I I think it's uh when when we started working on the book, actually, it was in the it was in September of twenty uh, it was in summer of twenty twenty. So it was after the murder of George Floyd, when the BLM protests were happening all across the country, and the National Guard was sent into DC. And I think that was just, um, you know, it, it just struck me the connections between what was happening now and what what had been happening then. Um, you know, it's an un, it's a fairly unusual thing for American cities to see the military on the streets. Um, you know, I, I, I think the, the fact that we're still, that's still happening, that the, the military is called in to, to deal with sort of, um, essentially what a civil rights protest is, is, you know, um, pretty shocking in some ways, um. I definitely wanted people to be able to draw the connections between then and now so that this wasn't just a book of historical photos, that it, that it really offers some sense of perspective on where the country is at, at the current time.
0: Now let's talk about the most famous photos in the book. Who was, who was Billy Fur, and what happened to him?
1: So Billy Fur was a young 24-year-old man Um He had been working at a bakery uh, in Newark that his uncle also worked in, and he had recently been laid off, and during these events in July of 67, he had come into the city. He actually lived in Montclair, New Jersey, which is a suburb uh, of Newark, and he had come into the city to pick up his unemployment check, and when he... Gone in there, he couldn't leave because the National Guard had locked down and the police had locked down the city. So um Budley and the reporter from Life, Dale Whitner, were sort of moving around uh Newark, trying to find things to photograph, and they were taken to this one particular area, um, Avon Avenue around Avon Avenue. Um And, um, they met Billy Furr and a number of his friends and started talking to them. And it was a hot summer's day, Saturday afternoon, and there was a liquor store on the corner of the block. Um, and Billy and his friends decided to go in there and it had already been looted. So they decided to go in and go and get some cases of beer to hand out to people. Who were hanging around on the block. And Bud Lee photographed uh, these three young men going in and out of the store. Um, no sooner had Billy Furr and his friends emerged from the store than the police, a police car, screeched to a halt on the sidewalk. Two of the guys fell to the ground, you know, uh, dropped the case of the beer. Billy Furr went running down the block with a six pack in his hand and the two policemen who came out of the patrol car basically raised their weapons, fired, shot him in the back and killed him and the two, uh, the bullets that were fired at Billy Furr also hit a 12 year old boy named Joe Bass Jr. who was playing on the next intersection So Bud Lee, you know, took photographs of this entire sequence of events and the photographs were the the only ones really that Life Magazine used from his time in Newark. So the photograph of Joe Bass Jr., uh, the 12-year-old boy, um, was used on the cover of Life Magazine and it's an extremely uh, dramatic and um, powerful A very emotional photograph. Um, he's lying on the concrete. There's a pool of blood underneath his neck where he'd been shot. He'd been wounded in the neck and the thigh by the police gunfire. And his body is almost contorted into a question mark. It's, it's a very, you know, it's a very, um, uh, powerful image. Um, And it's unlike any other image that's been used on the cover of life magazine. If you go back in the history of the cover of life magazine, a lot of the images that used a very sort of Norman, Norman Rockwell-esque, uh, photographs of America, uh, American, you know, culture, um, uh, portraits of people and things like that. And, and this image was really cut against the grain of what life magazine usually put on their covers. um, the article that ran inside with Budley's images was called The Killing of Billy Furr. Um And that uh, there was about two or three, uh, maybe actually six photographs from the sequence of Billy Furr, uh being shot and killed. So, you know, th- those photographs, I think certainly in Newark had a, a huge impact, but also nationally, I think it was, You know, it was very unusual to see, and and probably even uh, unprecedented for a national magazine to run photographs like that of a police killing an American citizen. So, you know, I actually have not been able to find any other photographs that that ran like that prior to that. You know, a lot of people would, uh, uh, there were a lot of fatalities in Watts as well a few years earlier, but I don't think there were any photographs of actual killings by the military or by the police.
0: Now, you talked about Joey Bass Jr. Did he survive the shooting or what happened after that?
1: Yes, he did. And, um, you know, I, I had been trying to track down his family and, and hadn't been able to before we put the book out, but um, I did track down or I was given a contact for the family of Billy Furr um, but yeah, so Bud Lee was very deeply affected by uh, his proximity to this incredibly tragic event—not just the, the the murder of Billy Fur, but the the wounding of Joe Bass Jr. And um, he was also troubled in a way that um, you know he the the photographs won bud lee some measure of fame in some ways because they were such powerful images um i think he was he just felt very guilty about taking photographs of such a terrible event and benefiting in some ways so he um actually went back a number of times to visit joe bass in the hospital he visited and took photographs of his family as well, and some of those photographs are in the book. There's a very touching photograph of Joe Bass, Joey Bass Jr. Um, in the hospital, n- now in a wheelchair, recuperating, and his mother, you know, p- sort of embracing him. Um, and I, I I don't know for how long uh, Bud Lee stayed in contact with with uh, Joey Bass Jr. and his family, but he definitely tracked his recovery.
0: Something else that was really important was the daily life of the people at that time in Newark. What's your favorite photo of the daily life? You know, there's
1: one photo in the book and it's, I don't know why, it's just, it, it really struck me. It's, it's a photograph of um, like a storefront, uh, like an air conditioning store or something. It's a black and white photograph and there are two figures standing in front of the doorway and one of them is an elderly black, uh, elderly white gentleman and the other one is a um, African-American woman and you can't see her face because she has an umbrella in front of it but she's very well dressed, she has white gloves on and the elderly white gentleman is looking at the camera with something of a scowl on his face and it I, I don't know what it is about it. I think it's just this sort of contrast between the two figures, uh, but also, you know, maybe speaks to some of the tension between the black and the white population in Newark at the time. And it's just a very, you know, beautiful image. Um, I I should say, you know, Budley was not really trained as a photographer, but he was trained as a fine artist. So a lot of the images in the book have this... Um, you know, quality to them that you would see of maybe a portrait painter in some ways. They, they have something else going on in the images. And so they sort of resonate in a way that maybe documentary photographers or news fo- photographers' images maybe wouldn't usually. And, um, yeah, he, he took a lot of photos of people uh, just really going about their daily business. There's a double-page spread that's sort of right right at the beginning of the book Uh, of a woman walking through a street, um, and it's just filled with trash and sort of uh, buildings that are sort of broken down. And it's a very dramatic sort of evocative image of, you know, uh, what had happened to Newark and how people were really just trying to survive in the midst of these extraordinary circumstances.
0: Now, looking at the faces of many of the people... I noticed that there were some people who were smiling.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I think, I think it's just, um, and I, I don't know. I, 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 guess we, you know, we we see photographs from these from these kind of um, situations, and we only really see a very limited viewpoint that has been decided upon by editors of um, newspapers or magazines. But you know, life goes on, and you know, to Bud Lee took a lot of photographs of children. He was particularly drawn to taking photographs of children. So there are some really great photographs of these kids, just you know, um, playing on the stoop, you know, unaf- seemingly unaffected by what's being what's going on in the city. And um, you know, it just—I think it speaks to—I um, don't know—it's—it's—it's. It's, it's, it's a very rounded portrait of, of, um, you know, uh, life really. Um, it's not just sort of single-minded in showing sort of destruction or, um, <clears throat> sort of negative, I, I don't know, stressful sort of situations is people just living. Um, and there is some joy in there, you know, in, in also in very different, um, sort of difficult circumstances.
0: Now, if someone today would look at the photos of 1967, could they mistake these photos for something that happened today? I, you know, I
1: think there were just, there were very stark parallels with a lot of the issues that we're dealing with today. And, and, you know, it was something that I kept in the forefront of my mind, Um, you know, whether it's gun violence, you know, um, you know, uh, especially school shootings. You know, when you look at the photograph of Joe Bass Jr., it really can't fail to bring to mind things that are happening today, you know, in Ivaldi or, or, you know, a- any of the other places where these terrible tragedies have occurred. So there's definitely that. I mean, there's obviously, you know, um, police shootings that are occurring, you know, all the time. And, and, you know, we, we're a lot more used to seeing images of these things now than we were, you know, than, than they were in 1967. So, you know, I, I, I do hope that people look at these images and, and see, you know, it's, it, it, I I wanted to offer a sense of perspective, uh, and, you know, show that these problems are still with us today. And, um, you know, the book, Features an introduction by Raz Baraka, who is the current mayor of Newark, and it's a very powerful text that draws direct connection between then and now, and the, you know, basically the through line from 1967 to today, through to George Floyd. Um, so, you know, he he made that connection himself, and I I think it's something that really. Um, is important when looking at these images then they're not just they, they are very um they're it's it's a very powerful historical portrait of a of a time in american history that was fairly shameful uh, but um and a turning point as well i think in in american history in terms of people's perception of what was happening in the cities um but you know, I think it's important to keep in mind that we're still dealing with a lot of these issues today.
0: You had a very powerful essay at the beginning, too. Can you tell the audience about that essay? Uh,
1: yes. I mean, I, I wanted to write something that really um, um, just sort of gave the backstory of the photographs and to maybe understand a little bit about how Bud Lee got to Newark, what he experienced there, um, how he was affected by it, um, but also really putting that in a lot of the context, uh, in in context of what was going on at the time, um, how events in Newark played out. Um, The essay is titled On Avon Between Badger and Livingston, and that was the block on which Billy Furr was killed and Joey Bass was wounded so you know the, the essay really sort of kind of deals with what led up to that event um, it also talks about the quandary that Bud Lee faced uh, as a photographer in the middle of an event like that um, you know whether the, 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 I quoted um, uh, Susan Sontag who wrote a book called On Photography. And in that book, there was, um, you know, she she speaks about war photographers and they have a choice, which actually is not a choice at all, which is if when faced with um, an event where, you know, potentially fatal event, the photographer can either take photographs or they can intervene. And that was what Bud Lee was faced with and, you know, he took photographs. And, and the, the point being that to intervene may have been fruitless. It may, you know, he, what would he have done to stop the police from shooting and killing Billy Fair? To take photographs meant he memorialized that event and he captured it and it stays with us today. And, um, but it had a, a great effect on him in terms of, you know, having been witness to those events, and you know, a, a sort of I can imagine a sense of powerlessness of being behind the camera, and you know, clicking the the shutter, you know, as somebody somebody's life has ended. Um, so I think you know I, I had spoken to his widow, and uh, she said that the the one you know the photographs that. You know, he took hundreds of thousands of photographs to during his life. But the photographs that affected him the most, that he kept talking about over and over throughout his life, were those photographs of Billy Far and Joey Bass.
0: You end with letter to Billy. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So when I was finishing off the book, we we had sort of, um you know, I finished the edit. We were working on the design. We were. Preparing it to go to the printer. Uh, I had wanted to reach out to certainly the family of Billy Fur, but also Jerry Bass, but um had not had any luck locating anybody. Um, and um an associate of Genius Williams, who's the official historian of Newark, sent me the an email address for Eline Fur, who was the widow of Billy Fur. Uh at the time that Billy Furr had been, was killed, they'd been married two years. Um, and I emailed Eileen and, you know, basically just to let her know we were putting the book out. And I, I didn't want her to just see the book or see coverage of the book and, and you know, um, sort of be re-traumatized by having these images put out into the public sphere again. Um, and she was very grateful that I'd reached out to her. Um, we spoke and, you know, I, I sort of basically asked her if she would write something for the book, because I wanted people to understand what the legacy of these kind of events was. Um, and she ended up writing a letter to Billy. So she, she wrote a a letter to her deceased husband, you know, telling him what she had gone through um after after his death and um you know it's just a very powerful testament to her strength but also you know um things that families of people who are caught up in these kind of events have to go through we we sort of i think sometimes forget maybe or don't appreciate the trauma that's left after these events and how many people are affected with by it, not just close family members, um, you know, uh, parents, children, um, wives, um, brothers, sisters, but also, you know, friends, colleagues. Um, I, I just felt that ending the book with Eileen's words was sort of just a, you know, put a cap on uh, I don't know it, it it was it just seemed appropriate to me
0: what is the overall message you want the reader to leave with once they finish looking at the pictures and reading the essays? I mean that's a hard one I think I just you know again I just I, I, I want people
1: to reflect on a, on a moment in American history um, see it through Bud Lee's eyes um, and, and really you know if they make connections to what's happening today that's enough i think you know i think um i think i write in the in the essay you know we're we're sort of um caught in um eternal sort of um so almost trapped in a sort of an eternal present of you know when these tragedies happen we're so caught up with you know, when, when somebody, when somebody is, um, you know, killed unlawfully, you know, by police or, you know, vigilantes, or, um, we're sort of caught up in the tragedy of the moment. And, you know, it, there are echoes of this that, that, that are left. And, um, I think I, I, you know, I want people to sort of reflect on that, the trauma that's left after these events. And and, and again, I think um, Mayor Baraka's text really speaks to that. He he writes about um, his own family history uh, because like John Smith, his father, who was the esteemed poet and playwright, Amiri Baraka, was beaten severely by police on the same night that John Smith was arrested and beaten and almost died at the hands of the police. And so Mayor Baraka talks about the trauma, uh, that those events, um, uh, how it impacted his family, and he expands that to the trauma on the city of Newark from from the events of July 1967. I think, you know, that's something that we need to think about in a, in a very sort of, you know, uh, when these things are playing out on the news on, on a daily basis still today.
0: Well, I've taken up enough of your time. Can you tell us about the next project you'll be working on? Um, yeah, I'm, you know,
1: I'm, I'm working on something extremely, very, very, very different. I mean, I'm, I'm working on... Um, I've been working on a book about John Phillips of the Mamas and the Papas for a period of time that I'm trying to complete. Uh, He was the man that wrote California Dreaming, which is sort of really, you know, the archetypal 60s song. Um, And I'm also working on a documentary about Joshua Tree, uh, which is where I live and have lived for the last 10 years almost. Um, You know, most of my work is to do with Uh, culture and arts you know i have a particular focus on the on the late 60s uh i guess because it was such a tumultuous um time um you know uh, a great period of change in american culture world culture in some ways so um you know I, i sort of always find projects to work on unusual stories um things that haven't really, you know, had the spotlight that they should have had. Um, and the, the Newark book and Dudley's and Newark photos are, are really part of that. Um, so, yeah.
0: Well, we'll be looking forward to those projects. Thank you again for being on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Deirdre. Thank you for your interest in the book.